The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Thank you, Jesus. Well, why don't you hold your Bible, lift it up real high, and shout, this is my Bible. <clears throat> I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I'm Flange. I'll learn from God's Word, and my life will never be the same. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing, and hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Amen. You ready? Praise the Lord. We're starting a brand new series today. Uh, it's uh, Valentine's month. And uh, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, relationships. And uh, in particular, we're going to be talking to the singles. But before we do that, uh, I am asked to remind you all that uh, the, the venue that we meet here, they sell booty rolls at the end of the service, and it's always at a discounted price of 30 bucks, okay? And they only made limited quantities, so straight after service, get yourself a snack. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, this series is called Date Night, and uh, we're going to be talking about the 10 relationship readiness questions that single people should ask themselves, and I believe we may only start and get into that uh, next week. Today, we're going to try and uh, lay some foundation and uh, have a background story to all of this. And so Jesus was sharing with his disciples in Matthew 19 about marriage and uh, God's perfect will for marriage. And I mean, the disciples started to protest uh, in uh, verse uh, 10. They said, man, if that's what it looks like, then this thing is impossible to do in the natural. And this is what Jesus uh, responded and said in verse 11 uh, of Matthew 19. And I'm going to read in the Message Bible, if you don't mind. And it says, and Jesus said this. He said, not everyone is mature enough to live a married life. So uh, right off the bat, we see that is going to take it's gonna. Uh, it's not me. It's Jesus, right? This is Jesus speaking. He says, "Not everyone is mature enough to live a married life." So we see right off the bat that it's gonna take some maturity uh, for us to be able to do this thing successfully. And this is what he says. He says it requires a certain aptitude and grace. Uh, marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Others never asked or accepted. And some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. But if you are capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, then like Nike said, Jesus said, just do it. If you are capable to grow into the largeness of marriage. That's the condition, right? Jesus is talking about a marriage between a husband and a wife. Uh, sometimes a grace people uh, wants to transfer the grace relationship that they have with God uh, to everywhere else. But, you know, life doesn't work like that. If I'm caught speeding, I can't say, you know, I'm under, the, I'm under, I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. No, when you're, when you're driving, you're under the law of the, you know, the metro. Amen. 
And so when it comes to your marriage relationship, uh, Jesus gives us some conditions uh, that are going to make this thing successful. And so I want to talk to the single population of the church. And so before I start, I'm going to ask, where are my single people at? Where are my single people at? Just put your hand up. Where are my single people at? In fact, let me redefine the meaning of single. Just because you have a boyfriend doesn't mean you are married or you, you know, everybody who's engaged, quoting, dating, you are single. All right, let's start again. Where are my single people at? Single people at? Single, single, yeah. Okay, now you see the numbers are growing. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And those of you who are dating, single people dating, any of you, okay, they don't want the pastor to know. They don't want the pastor to know. Well, if you are dating, uh, uh, you know, you're still single. And uh, you may really be single after this sermon. (laughs) Amen. Because Jesus said it like this. So we are preparing uh, you guys to be successful in marriage. And I was saying in the first service, marriage is to be enjoyed. Marriage is to add and not to subtract, you know, from our lives. Marriage is to be a bliss. That's how God created it. He wanted you and I to get uh, fulfilled in this marriage relationship through companionship, love, and caring uh, for one another. So this is why Jesus said it requires, it's a requirement. You know, if you went to university, there are the electives and uh, the core courses or the required courses. And so what we're talking about here is not electives. You can't pick and choose. These are the required courses if you're going to pass this test. Can I get an amen? And so Jesus said what's required is number one aptitude someone say aptitude Aptitude is basically this, a skill, a natural skill, uh, which can be acquired through knowledge or a mantle or, you know, uh, through experience. You don't want to acquire it through experience because, you know, that means you may have to make uh, your own mistakes. But aptitude is very important. In other words, we need relational skills if we're going to be successful at marriage. And the second thing he says is grace. Uh, grace comes through prayer. So not only do you need natural ability, you also need to pray for your marriage so that the grace of marriage can be uh, upon you know, your, your marriage. So just having grace alone is not going to cut it. You also need natural skill and ability, communicate, uh, uh, learn how to care for each other. I mean, we have a full-on course uh, on that kind of stuff. But for the singles, you know, your aptitude and your skill that you should learn uh, varies across the whole breadth of you know, the four seasons of dating which we're going to talk about uh, this morning. And then the third thing that Jesus says uh, you need, if you're going to be successful at it, is to grow into the largeness of marriage. You have to be willing to grow into the largeness of marriage because there's a demand that's large that's going to be placed on you uh, as you uh, make this decision uh, to say, uh, I do successfully we're talking about a successful marriage because what tends to happen in church is that people think that the goal of marriage is to stay married and so people who show up to a marriage you know uh, session and say how how long have you been married you know 20 years yeah how long 62 years but we can tell the guy is in pain we can tell it was an endurance test amen we can tell the lady was just staying for the... Have you ever heard people say, man, at this point, I'm just staying for Avantuan? Ever heard that? Yeah. This, man, you know what? This thing is not working. And at this point, God never created it to believe that way. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. 
He wanted you to get joy, fulfillment uh, out of it. Amen? Can I get an amen? And so when he says we need to grow into the largeness of marriage, the number one thing you have to grow into before you are ready and qualified to even start dating is you have to grow into what I like to call selflessness. It's the first thing. Uh, marriage is brutal to selfish people. It's a wrong place to be selfish. It's in a marriage relationship. It will treat you like trash. Marriage is brutal to selfish people. I was watching a fight, 1974. I wasn't born then. I watched it, you know, years later. Uh, Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman. Uh, the rumble in the jungle in Zaire. You know, formerly known as Zaire, now DRC. And they were fighting there. And, uh, you know, uh, while they were in the ring, you know, Muhammad Ali did what he called the rope dope. He went to the rope and really just stood there and, you know, uh, uh, put his hands up. And George Foreman was swinging and swinging and he exhausted himself swinging. And Muhammad Ali saw that, you know, George was tired and he opened his eyes and said, George, are you tired? <laughs> and George kept swinging. And he says, George, you are tired. This is the wrong place to be tired. <laughs> you can be tired on your couch, but you don't want to be tired in the ring with me. And so, boom, he knocked him out. And so I say that to say, marriage is the wrong place to be selfish. And so growing into the largeness of marriage is realizing this, that it's going to be brutal if you ever uh, uh, come into it uh, selfishly. You know, you're going to be successful in marriage. You have to learn, number one, to put your spouse ahead of yourself. Oh, just one amen over here. Just one amen over here. You have to learn uh, to put each other uh, ahead of yourselves. And so for single people, you're looking, you're searching. Look for someone who has mastered the art of putting you ahead of themselves. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so if you are capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, then you're qualified to do it. The first question we should ask ourselves as single people is this. Am I dateable? And the best way to answer that question is, can you date you? In other words, do you have enough caring in you for somebody else? Can you put someone else before you? Are you empathetic? Because the goal of marriage is not just to stay married long. It is to stay caring. That's the goal. And I must say, before we even go into, you know, what I want to talk about today is, you know, a lot of people get married for all kinds of wrong reasons. The reason we should be getting married is companionship, friendship, and uh, caring for each other. That's the ultimate reason you should be wanting to get married to someone. And so as I was doing some research, you know, I, I, uh, I, I went on the internet and I looked for some of the wrong uh, reasons people get married. And I'm going to read them out to you. You're going to be surprised at some of the reasons why people get married. And this is a philosophy that a lot of people carry. It's a guiding principle. Philosophy is simply a guiding principle of behavior. And, and, and everyone has a philosophy when it comes to relationships. And so what I'm trying to do this morning is to change your philosophy, your guiding principles when it comes to a marriage relationship. Your guiding principles should be, I want to care for my spouse. I want to put them before me. And you make this decision before you even start dating. I'm talking to the singles, amen? The married, you can get something out of it, but this whole whole deal is meant for the singles. Can I get an amen? 
And so here are some of the reasons, wrong reasons, uh, why people uh, get married. Now, if you are already married and you, uh, uh, these were one of your reasons, uh, don't worry about it. You, you know, we'll pray for you. <laughs> we'll pray for you that you will stand the test of time and just, you know, heaven is way, it's going to be way better than what it is, right? <laughs> just soldier on, hang in there. We'll love you. Amen. But if you are not married, yeah, wrong reasons to get married. Number one, loneliness. You know, a lot of people get married because I'm lonely. Listen, you're, if you are lonely, no one can ever make you feel loved. And no one can ever get rid of that loneliness. You know, loneliness is actually a result of not uh, receiving and realizing the revelation that God is with you all the time. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So just because you are alone doesn't mean you should be lonely. You can be alone and happy. Amen? And in fact, when you are alone and happy, you're going to be married and happy. If you are alone and not happy, you're going to be married and not happy. Nothing changes because all of a sudden you've added someone into your life. And so loneliness, you know, is really the wrong reason to get married because no one can fill that void on the inside of you. Only God can fill that void. It's a God-sized void. He has put eternity in you, and in, only God can fill that void. And so it's a wrong reason uh, to get married. The other wrong reason why people get married is they feel like they are the odd one out. They feel like, you know, all their friends have gotten married and they are the only ones, they are the last remaining warrior, you know, in the <laughs> samurai, in the singles, you know, uh, battle. But, but this is a wrong re reason to get married. You shouldn't feel pressure from what somebody else is doing. In fact, if you really dig deep, you may, only, you may find out that the grass is spray-painted. It was just spray-painted. <laughs> spray Number three, here's another wrong reason people get married. They did a research. Uh, they talked to people who had been married before, and they asked them, what was the reason you got married? And some of them said loneliness. Some of them said, you know, I felt I was the old one out. And in my class, everybody was getting married, so I wanted to get married. So the pressure, you know, caused them to just take anything that comes. See, when you... Uh, uh, use any of these reasons uh, as your motivation, you won't carry out uh, a, a, an informed objective evaluation on a potential uh, spouse. Because, you know, anything that walks on two feet and breathes <laughs> qualifies. Fear is number three. It's a wrong reason to get married. Uh, some people are afraid of the biological clock, the so-called biological clock. Uh, they are afraid of society-imposed deadlines. They feel like society says, by this age, uh, you need to get married. But here's the deal is that if you have waited this long, you know, you may as well do it right. Instead of just getting into, you know, something that's going to cause you uh, problems, you know, down the stretch. Amen? And so these are all invalid reasons to get married. Number four uh, is covetousness. You know, it's just a big Bible word. That means marrying someone for what you can get out of it. You know, marriage and uh, the marriage relationship is never a take relationship. It's always, it's never a give and take. You know, let me put it that way. It's always a give and give. Remember, we talked about selflessness. So a marriage relationship is two people trying to outgive each other. I'm talking about a successful one. When you are trying to outgive each other, you are trying to outcare uh, for each other, man, you're going to have a successful uh, marriage relationship. And so covetousness is marrying someone for what you can get out of it. Some people marry. 
for financial gain, you know, that can, they can get. Some people marry because the person has a name, you know, they're famous for something. And this is why, you know, all the girls back in high school, they wanted to go with the classroom clown. I mean, the fool is getting no grades. Talk about low grade, no grades. The fool is getting no grades. Even a blind prophet can tell this dude is a disaster. Yet all the girls in the class wanted the classroom clown is because, you know, they just felt like, you know, they can get the fame that comes with it. And it's a wrong reason to marry someone. Oh, just a few amens. Amen. Or marry someone for a green card. You know, once, once you get the green card, you're going to look at them and say, who is this? It's wrong motivation to get married to, to someone. Can I get an amen? Uh, here's another wrong reason to get uh, married to someone is uh, prophetics. Uh, notice I didn't say prophecies. I say prophecy athletics because it's games. That's what it is. It's prophetics. It's just playing games. When people show up and they say, the Lord told me you're my spouse, give me a break. That's what you need to do. Give me a break. In fact, when I was a bachelor, you know, in a Pentecostal church, it happened to me a few times. You know, a sister would come and, you know, with that lemon face, lemon eating face, just, hallelujah, brother Tafara, I sense that the Lord wants you. No, I don't, no. No, I'm not feeling you. And so I say that to say this, that there's no scriptural precedent for a pastor to tell you who to marry. In fact, when that person told me that, you know, I was supposed to be their spouse, I said, okay, you know what, I'm actually going to ask God. And so I went and asked the Lord. I said, is such and such uh, uh, the one for me? And the Lord said to me, I don't know. I said, what do you mean, Lord? You're supposed to know. He was like, I'm not the one marrying them. Says you are the one marrying them, so you get to pick the one that you want. And have you ever heard this fallacy around the one in Hollywood? They think there is the one, and so people are going through different uh, people trying to find the one. They believe that there is only one person out of three billion people of the opposite sex. They believe that there is one person who you are destined to marry. Well, let me tell you, there is about three billion you can choose from. But out of those 3 billion, 2.9 may be a disaster if you pick them. <laughs> so you're left with over 10,000 people to choose from. And whoever you pick, become the one. So if you're looking for the one, just chill out, bro. When you make the decision, the one you pick is the one. God will endorse it. That's why when you come to the front and we're doing the service, we will say in front of God. God is putting his stamp because he is turning that person you pick to being the one. So when you come to me and you already have the one and you're saying, Pastor, you know, I, you know, I, I feel like I need to get out of there because I need to. Find. No, the one is the one next to you. That's the one. The one you picked. At least you get to pick the fool you want. That's how fair the game is. No one picks for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, uh, the sixth reason, wrong reason, why people get married is pity. Oh, I just, feel, I just felt so bad for them. Hallelujah. So I'm going to marry them. 
And then two years down the stretch, they say, ah, who is this person? You know why? Because pity can't sustain a marriage relationship. Pity, this, I mean, this notion, it can't be sustained long term. And I'm not saying that people don't have emotional problems and they haven't gone through stuff. I'm not saying that they, they don't, there's no problems. What I'm saying is at some point you need to get over it. That's what I'm saying. You know, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. Everyone grew up in a dysfunctional family. Everyone, not a single So I've never met someone who grew up in a functional family. Everybody. I grew up in a dysfunctional family. My dad had two wives. But that didn't cause me to act the fool. I looked at that. I said, I'm going to put a full stop to that. And I'm going to put a capital letter to something else that looks like God's will in his word. So you, at some point, you need to quit acting the fool and just say, you know what? I'm going to get some emotional healing when today. And you can make that decision to receive some emotional healing. And it can happen in a moment. You can't be emotionally broken for 15 years. In fact, if you want to continue nursing that emotional uh, hurt, that's fine. But even in the athletics world, if you, are, if you have an injury, you don't get to play the game. So if you are emotionally hurt and you still want to fix that, we will send you to the emotional rehab, but we don't want you to play. When the game starts 90 minutes and we put 11 players to play the dating game, we don't want you playing. The problem is we have a lot of people who want to be in the rehab, one leg in the rehab, um, emotionally at one leg in the game. Oh, can I get an amen? So fix the rehab and then when you come to play, because you're going to bleed on someone. Oh, man, let me move on. They may not come back next week. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. So you don't get married to someone because you pity them. That can't be sustained. Number seven, uh, escapism. You know, to escape emotional stress and low self-esteem. Man, nobody can make you feel good about you. God is the only one that can make you feel good about you. We call it Christ esteem. If you have low self esteem, go in the word. Read the book of Romans all the way to Jude. It tells you who you are, what you have, what Jesus has done for you. It's going to build your Christ esteem. And when you have that, man, you meet your uh, potential spouse, man, you're going to do well in that uh, marriage relationship. Amen. Uh, the eighth one is uh, people get married because, Pastor, I'm sexually, physically attracted to them. Now, this can be sustained because uh, looks are perishable. And I'm not misusing English. I chose that because I wanted to use that word, perishable, not temporary. Because temporary is the notion of four, five, six, seven years. Perishable, like a banana, Baba. That's what looks are like. That's what looks are like. You want to run a marriage on looks. Are you for real? Looks. Word. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Amen. I said, amen, because what are you going to do when the wrinkles start showing? Or when she has a a third child for you? And then, you know, uh, 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 or when your husband uh, gets the Dunlop disease. You know what the Dunlop disease is? When the belly Dunlopped over the belt. (laughs) What are you going to do? Are you going to leave them and find someone else? They're also done love. Amen. And so looks are perishable. If you're writing down notes, this one you must write in caps. Looks are perishable. In fact, when we were in uh, uh, college, 
I used to wonder when we were in college, we would, you know, this was in my BC days before Christ, we would go out to the club, you know. And every time we'd go out to the club, we'd go in, uh, uh, and wait for the uh, crew. It was a crew of us. I mean, we'd go 12, 13 of us, you know, uh, uh, four girls from our classroom and about seven guys. And we all go to the club. And every time we'd go to pick up the, the, the ladies to go to the club, they were the last to get dressed. And, and what, I couldn't help but notice every time they would uh, dress up, they would keep checking the mirror. They Checking the mirror, they check in the mirror, they check in the mirror. And so, and so I asked them, I said, Why do you keep checking? He says, Well, you never know, you may wake up and it's gone. And that's the truth. That's the truth about looks. If you marry for looks, you never know, you may wake up and it's gone. And so, what are you gonna do if you married them because of their looks? This is why you have 72 year olds. 72-year-olds in divorce court. What are you doing at 70? What are you going to do? Marry a 30-year-old. You've invested 50 years of your life in this person. Now you're at divorce court and you're going to split and you're going to get a 30-year-old? Why? Because this thing was not built on the right principles. It was built on the wrong principles. They got married to the person for the wrong reasons. So someone may ask, why should I marry someone? You marry them for companionship. You marry them for friendship. And you marry them because you want to care for them. And when that is not there, man, you have uh, uh, some ingredients for a disaster. Thank you, Jesus. And so in this realm, in this real estate, I call it the real estate, in this real estate of emotions, of caring, there are three groups of people, three kinds of people that you're going to find. It doesn't matter where you are. There's going to be three people that you find. As you start dating, the first thing you do is to figure out which one you are. And we're going to tell you what to do with yourself if you're one of these three. But when you start dating, you are evaluating to see if you've, made one, if you've met one of these three. And if you met the other two, you just kick them to the curb. That's what you do. And you, you know, pray for the, the third one that I'm going to tell you. Three people in the real estate of emotions and caring for each other. The first one is what I like to call a freeloader. Uh, the second one is what I like to call a renter. The four, third one is what I like to call a buyer. So in the real estate of emotions, there are three people. The first one is a freeloader. And what is a freeloader, you may ask? A freeloader, uh, and th these are nice people. All three of them are nice people. They just lack relational skills and commitment. The first one is uh, a freeloader is like someone who lives in a house without paying rent or doing anything to maintain or improve it unless he or she feels like it. This willingness to provide very limited care in a romantic relationship is usually based on certain beliefs that make it reasonable. And here are some wrong uh, beliefs that freeloaders have. They believe that there is uh, a relationship right for me and those who are wrong for me, those that are right for me make me feel happy without me having to put any effort into making my partner happy. So a freeloader just leaves at the house. They don't pay rent. They don't wash dishes. They don't do anything. They just want to be there and be treated like a king and so that never works a freeloader will never because it takes two to tango 
Can I get an amen? amen. If they believe if they are in a romantic relationship and someone criticizes them, it's a sign that it's a wrong relationship. Uh, and it's a mistake for them to change their behavior to accommodate somebody else because they believe they're just prolonging a relationship that isn't meant to be. So they run on this uh, phrase, it's never meant to be. They're, they're quick to move. They're quick to go. Because after all, there's no commitment. When you're a freeloader, you don't even have furniture in that house. All you have is your clothes. And you can move very fast. Freeloaders are dangerous. They'll drop you like it's hot. <laughs> Amen. And so freeloaders eventually lose uh, a good thing that they may have because they hardly ever show any affection. So what's the remedy to this? The remedy is uh, instead of being on a date to test for compatibility, uh, a date is an opportunity to improve and train your ability to care for others. Amen. And the second group is the renters. This is like a person who's willing to pay whatever rent is necessary to live in the house of his or her choice, but reserves the right to live if it is no longer suitable or affordable or if something better can be found. He or she agrees to keep the house clean, but it is not, is not usually willing to make any major repairs or improvements because it falls on the, on the landlord. They have some wrong beliefs. And here are some wrong beliefs uh, from the renters. Uh, we're talking about real estate of emotions, okay? Not real house. We're borrowing from uh, a real house. But, you know, there's some things we can pick from that. They believe that in every in, uh, romantic relationships uh, require a certain amount of give and take. That's where they are wrong. Because a marriage relationship is not a give and take relationship. It's a give and give relationship. You, you have to be willing to give and give. Not a single amen in the building. Because <laughs> people are constantly evaluating their effort uh, on the, in the context of what their partner is doing. That will run your relationship to the ground. Yeah. You're waiting for them to do some so you can match you know, their effort. That will run uh, your relationship to the ground. Amen. amen. I said amen. Uh, they believe this. Uh, they believe someone who is right for me today can be wrong for me tomorrow. Just like, you know, when you're renting, you know, Douglas Dale may be right for you in this season, but next week you may want Santon because, you know, you got a new job in Santon. So uh, renters, they, you know, they're not looking for long-term commitment. They're looking for convenience and just short -term, a short-term deal. They're just looking for, in fact, if you talk to real estate agents, I think the, you can sign a 12-month lease. It's, it's on a 12-month lease basis, you know, and we reassess and see they don't run until death do us part. And so these first two, uh, uh, you find them a lot in Hollywood. And I'm not picking on Hollywood, but they just happen to be, you know, on the platform where we can all see what's happening in their lives and their relationships. But, you know, you see a lot of people say irreconcilable differences and things of that nature. And all it is really is because people are coming into this uh, uh, relationship as a freeloader or as a renter. Oh, not a single, uh-huh. <laughs> and then the third group, uh, which we should all uh, strive uh, to, be, to become, is to be a buyer. You know, when you buy a house, uh, one of the things they tell you, when Q bought his house uh, uh, a few years ago, you know, he came and we talked about it. I said to him, you know, one of the things that's going to happen uh, because you're now an owner and you are a buyer is that, you know, your Saturday is the first uh, uh, four or five 
course of your Saturday is now gone to repairs and just the upkeep of the house because things break in the house. And when you are an owner, when you are a buyer, you can't go anywhere else. You just have to stick it out and work things out. And so a buyer's come with the attitude that, hey, we're going we're gonna to make this relationship work. Renters are ready to move. Freeloaders will be out of there before you. Freeloaders <laughs> won't even argue with you. You know, renters will argue with you. They point, whatever, but they, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, man, I could do better. I could find something else and so on. And they're, you know, both equally bad. But a buyer's, man, a buyer is someone who's committed to providing exclusive. Someone say exclusive. Because this is your only house. They're committed to providing exclusive, permanent care in a romantic relationship and they make decisions that reflect a long-term consideration of the other person's feelings and interests. Since the relationship is for life, he or she is willing to permanently change behavior to make the relationship romantic and successful. And they do this joyfully. To make empathetic emotional decisions, they make the ones that reflect a long-term care and commitment for their partner. If one of us has a problem uh, with some aspect of the relationship, this is what buyers believe. We will work together to find a solution that we both can permanently adopt. The goal of our relationship is for both of us to be happy, not just one person, for both of us to be happy and fulfilled with every aspect of the relationship. And so you can see with these diff three different people that the mindsets are different. And so as you are getting ready to date, you know, uh, uh, single people, man, ask yourself first, you know, am I a freeloader? Am I a freeloader? You just have to snap out of it. You just have to, uh, it's a decision away. It's 10 seconds away. I'm not going to be a, a freeloader. I'm, I'm going to be willing to adjust and make some changes and, uh, you know, uh, uh, go through the four of dating and develop to becoming a, 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 a person who cares for the other person better. Amen. I said amen. And we're talking about the four seasons of dating, right? Christians don't understand this. And this is why we fail so much in relationship. They say uh, uh, the world uh, divorce rate is 50% in the church. The, it's the same thing. And, and the reason is because of aptitude. You know, the skill to navigate relationship has to start at the dating phase. There are four different seasons you go through to get to uh, marriage. The first one is the dating phase where you're just getting to know one another. You know, you're just going out to eat lunch and talking to see if there's a companionship, there's friendship. Do you laugh at the same things? Can you be friends? Do you even have something to talk about? Hallelujah. Amen. There's some real things. Man, I went to church today. They were too real. <laughs> Trying to help you. Amen. A lot of Christians don't know how to date. You know, you go on a first date, first date with a Christian, a real Christian, tongue-talking, sanctified Christian. He's going to be looking at you and say, Shandarabu, so when are we? When are you marrying me, brother? Hallelujah. Shandarabaka, satarabu. Come on, I'm just trying to talk. I'm just trying to, you know, see if... That's all I'm trying to do. I'm, you know, it's not that deep. Christians don't know how to, they don't know how to date. And this is why we have the problems that we have because they don't know how to date. They don't know how to just sit down and have a conversation and laugh at stuff. Amen. Amen. And the second season of uh, dating you need to learn is, is courtship. 
You know, that's, uh, and all of this happens with uh, uh, restrictions and rules. You have to have boundaries as you are dating and courtship. You know, you have to have boundaries, uh, physical boundaries. In other words, you don't move in with the person. Uh, not a single amen. You know, you don't move in with a person. You don't sleep with them. Amen. You don't do any of that. Uh, and a lot of people, this is sad. Now, this makes me sad because the, the world has uh, reduced the relationship from what God meant it to be to, to start functioning at a level of, of, of uh, manipulation. People, at, the reason why we don't have boundaries is because people have just learned how to manipulate each other. They just love to manipulate each other. And I'm talking physical boundaries. I'm talking financial boundaries. You have no business buying a house with, with someone you're dating. Uh, I may not get an offering today. Uh, you have no business. And so, but what the way people think is, you know what? If we get a mortgage together, then I will tie them down for 20 years. Because the mortgage is how long? 20? 25? Yeah, then I want to tie them down. So it's all manipulation and games. But that's not how God created this thing to function. You don't buy cars together. Yeah. Come on. Amen? Yeah. I said amen. You don't start introducing the, each other. You know, you introduce it to the pastor. You say, I have a policy. The first one you introduce me to, that's the one you marry. Because <laughs> I'm not your friend. I'm not, I'm your pastor. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. You know, people want to quickly introduce and then switch it up on us. No, I don't want to be a part of your, your tricks. You know, and some people want to quickly introduce so that when it doesn't work, they start going to the auntie. They can go to your mom quickly. They, you know, social boundaries. Why, why do you want my mother's WhatsApp number? We just still just trying to have Nando's. That's where we are. That's the stage. We're just trying to have Nando's. Now you want my mom. Ah. Slow down. We are moving too fast. Is this helping you or is too tough? This is, this is tough. And so you got to have some, 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 some boundaries, right? Some uh, uh, boundaries with your family. By the time you start taking them to introduce them uh, to your family, man, it should be at uh, uh, the engagement phase when, when you've asked them, gentlemen, when you've asked them and they've actually said, I do. You know, not just show up. These guys, these, these guys with no skills, they just show up and say, can you get a date from your aunt? For what? Because I want to pay Lobola. Who said I want to marry you? You actually have to ask them if they want to marry you. Can't just assume. Just come from a Latini and just assume. Just show up. You must get on your knee. And ladies, this one guy from church, he, he went, he said, ah, Pastor, I just asked her at the restaurant. I was sitting on the chair and I was just, I just asked her. I just pulled the chair and I just said, will you marry me? Just whisper. I said, did you get on your knee? He said, no, I, no, I don't do the knee thing. <laughs> Ladies, when you start lowering your standard like that, man, you're going to lower your standard even in the marriage relationship. You're going to start making excuses for them. Yeah. Yep. We have a policy at the church, you know, dealing with leadership and stuff like that. I tell the guys, they fight me all the time because believe it or not, you know, I'm, I'm not the nice one in the team. You know, all the other guys, they're nice. But they come to me and they're trying to make excuses for people. I say, man, 
Dude, why are you making excuses for people? They're showing you who they really are. Believe them. You know, that's what I tell them. And they and them, ah, but pastor, you know, it could be their background. I'm like, no, just believe what they're showing you. Just take, and that's the, that's the key, is that if they're showing you that they won't get on the knee, man, not, believe them. That's, that's that who they are. I'm talking to the singles. We, we need to, we need to, if you're already married, you know, we'll pray for you. At the end of the, we'll, we'll say there's grace, Amen. I'm talking to the singles. Man, they need to get on the knee and ask you, will you marry me? And then you say, okay, yes, I will marry you. And then, you know, we can start the Lobola thing and, you know, get into uh, uh, the marriage relationship. And by the way, at what point are you considered married? <clears throat> they asked, at what point are you considered? You transition from dating, courtship, engagement, and um, uh, are married, right? At what point are you married? You're married at this point when your in-laws, the, you know, the, the father and the mother of the bride accept your, your, your gifts or whatever in the African context, right? When they accept your gifts and they say to you, we are blessing you with our daughter, at that point you're married. And so everything else we do as the pastors, you know, we come and have a, a, a blessing and so on and so forth. It follows uh, the blessing that you received from your, your, your parents. Yeah. Now, if you can't get along with your, with your parents for them to give the blessing, that's not my fault. <laughs> and we, I'm not going to sabotage the, that hold that you have to get. You're going to have to work that relationship. And because even when we marry you in church, we're going to ask which man gives this woman to... And your dad will have to say, I'm, I'll be the one that does that. But I, 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 the reason I bring that up is because there's a, a, a wrong uh, perspective in the church that you're only really married after the white wedding. Now, the white wedding is not a church wedding. The white wedding is a traditional wedding for the English people. Ah, <laughs> oh, you see, you see, now you're... You, you see, now I'm going to get into trouble now. You see, now I'm... Now you don't like me anymore. That's what it is. You want to know the truth? The white wedding is just a traditional wedding for the British, right? And, uh, and, and the Europeans. Uh, you know, when you pay Lobola, that's the white wedding for them. And so when you do double and then you get into debt. And you start your marriage. I, I don't have a problem with the white wedding and, you know, feeding all the people. But I think young people... <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. But here's the truth. Can I help you? Yeah. Man, I really am trying to help you. But here's the thing is that sometimes we, we're spending all this money and you start the marriage in debt and you're financially strained. And the number one reason people divorce is because of financial strain. You're setting yourself up three, four, five hundred thousand rand to feed people that are complaining about your food and your decor <laughs> at the wedding. And you're trying to impress people who are not paying attention at the cost of minus 350,000 rand and you start your marriage in debt because you're trying to keep up with the, uh, with the dubes. <laughs> Man, that's not wisdom. Here's how I would do it if I had a choice in the matter. I didn't have a choice in the matter. <laughs> If I had a choice in the matter, here's how I would do it. I'd pay Lobola and get the pastor to come at the Lobola ceremony and do his thing. And then we kill two birds with one stone. And then we save up a whole lot of cash that we can put down as a deposit on a house that we're going to buy 
together and start getting our lives to move in that. That's how I, if I had a choice, that's how I would have done it. And so, brothers, if you have a choice, you're going to have to pray for that one. Amen. I said amen. And so, for all of us, you know, single people, this is really my heart. My heart is for all of us to develop and become, you know, uh, people who understand these things. You know, I was saying in the first service that when it comes to a marriage relationship, uh, as a single person, you have to be cutthroat. No time for games. Cutthroat. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, don't make excuses for people. If they show you who they are, they're a cheater, they, they run around on you, believe them. Kick them to the curb. You know what that looks like? Kick him to the curb and move on with your life. Why? Because your marriage relationship is the second most important relationship you have while you're here on the earth. The first one is your relationship with God. You know, that's the most important relationship. It's a covenant relationship. Jesus died and shed his blood at the cross so that we can have a life covenant with him. You cannot be taken away from that relationship. It's eternal redemption. And the second most important relationship is the one with the spouse, the person that you choose to be your husband or your wife. And that relationship is also uh, uh, till death do us part. It doesn't have an expiry date. All your other relationships have an expiry date. The marriage relationship and the relationship that you have with the Lord, they are, they are eternal here on the earth. At least they are permanent here on the earth. When we get to heaven, we know that there's not going to be any marriage. God has something better for us. But while we are here on the earth, man, your marriage relationship is your most important relationship. Second most important to your relationship uh, with the God that you serve. Amen? And so next week, we're going to be talking about the 10 uh, relationship readiness uh, uh, questions that you should ask yourself before you start dating. So we're going to come with the assumption that you're all in rehab. And before we release you, <laughs> and before we release you to start dating, we have some questions that you, you need to, to, to ask. There's some questions that you need to ask yourself and ask the potential person that you're going into a relationship with. You know, are these things in check? If those things are in check, then a relationship uh, is not going to fly. And these things have nothing to do with, you know, superficial things like the, the, they are a yellow bone. I mean, people have all kinds of super shit, or they are told dark and handsome. The questions that you're going to be asking are not superficial at all. These are real questions that you need real answers for that are going to help you have a successful marriage relationship. You know, I was saying to, in, the, in the first service that, you know, my wife has been a blessing to me. She, she is a man. I thank the Lord every single day for her because she's, she's a, just a blessing to me. She changed, she changed my life. The reason I'm doing what I'm doing right now is because of her. You know, she, she keeps me in check. She, oh, man. She, she, and I'm a blessed man. Amen. I'm a blessed man. And I believe every man should be able to say that about their wife. Every wife should be able to say that about their man. I believe that. You should tell your wives that uh, today when you get home. That, man, I'm blessed that I'm married to you. I am blessed. And the African men say, ah, pastor, you, you want me to be weak now. No, this is your wife. This is the only place you can be vulnerable. Amen. 
man, I, I love, I love. I was saying in the first service, man, I've been preaching almost every week since January. You know, the first week, just traveling Zimbabwe, Uganda, Heidelberg, Cape Town, uh, Durban, Joburg, just traveling. And next week is East London and so on and so forth. And I talk to a lot of preachers, and this is what they say. They say, you know, uh, uh, with all this work, ministry work that I have to do, I have to sacrifice to spend time with my family. And I was saying, for me, it's the other way. It's the opposite. I don't sacrifice to spend time with my family. I love spending time. It's not a sacrifice, spending time with my wife and my kids, but I love doing it. You know what a sacrifice is? Preaching. That's the sacrifice. I'm sacrificing right now. It's a sacrifice. <laughs> Amen. That's sacrifice. Work is sacrifice. But, you know, men say to their wives, you see, I even came back from work to LA. I'm sacrificing. No, it shouldn't be a sacrifice. It should be a joy. What you do together as a couple is a joy. It's not a sacrifice. If it's a sacrifice, I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> You think the kids want the sacrifice? They don't want the sacrifice. They want the real deal. Where is the real deal? That's what they want. And, you know, uh, I'm blessed because I love spending time with my wife. I love being at home. I have a very short leash. If I'm not at the office, I'm at home just staring at my wife. Just, <laughs> just staring at her. Just, ah. Just, just hallelujah. Just praise the Lord. Oh man, I can, true story. I can't imagine my, 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 my life without her. And she gives me all the brownie points. Whenever we meet people, you know, they like me initially, but when they grow to know both of us, they just kind of, you know, just true story. You know, we met uh, Billy Epperhart. We met Billy Epperhart, and Billy, I mean, Billy fell in love with me, and he was like, oh, Tavares. And then I introduced Billy to my wife. He forgot about me, like that. <laughs> true story. When I then took my wife to meet Miss Becky, you know, uh, at their uh, house in, in, in Denver, Miss Becky couldn't stop talking to Chip and say, man, Billy has never come back from a mission trip or from preaching trip talking about the pastor's wife, but you, he kept talking about you. What's, what's, that's what it's supposed to be when you understand how to minister to your wife. They make you shine. You know, Gavin, well, Gavin, you know, he comes and fixes our stuff here. He, he, he has downgraded me to a second city. I'm seeing him texting with my wife, and he's getting prayers, and he's getting counseling. He's like, oh, at least Chipo listens to me. Because, man, you, you, you give me your problems, I give you solutions. <laughs> like, at least, you know. But here's the deal is that it's, it's not a competition. It's a, it's a complementation. Is that a word? It's a, it's a, you, you know, you're complementing each other. And the only way you can get to that is by learning how to outcare for each other. And tomorrow, we have an excellent opportunity. Well, I went to that church, and they believe in Valentine's. No, I don't believe in Valentine's, but tomorrow, do some. You know, pastor, does pastor believe in, I don't, I believe in Jesus, we know that, I believe in Jesus Christ, he's my personal Lord and Savior, I don't believe in, but tomorrow, do something, amen, did I bless you, why don't you stand on your feet, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, thank you Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and so next week we're going to be talking about uh, 10 relationship readiness we hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.